Welcome to Marching In, a brand new podcast on Southampton FC. In today's episode, we look at our games against Everton and Man United, discuss Harsen Hall tactics across both matches, Tino Livramento, and also preview upcoming games against Newport and Newcastle. Not quite predicting 8-0. There's also time to review our best 11 since promotion. Enjoy. doing yeah i'm good good i'm good mate how are you yeah very very well um welcome listeners to what is i guess our first official episode of the marching in podcast we don't know whether we're going the marching in podcast or marching in so you know we can edit that as as we see fit yeah sounds um, good but my name my name is luke and joined by my wonderful co-host sam appleton good to be here mate good to be here especially after a Posit- uh, slightly posit- more positive result yesterday. We were t- we were talking about yeah today's pod and and uh, yeah kind of coming into this probably less than hopeful that we would pull off some sort of result but yeah very much more up the upbeat Monday morning than I'd anticipated. Yeah, I was slightly expecting this to be a bit of a post mortem rather than <laughs> rather than something that we're going to look at a bit more positively. I'm sure we'll, indeed, I'm indeed. Sure we'll, we'll touch on the Everton game, but yeah, yesterday was definitely a lot more positive. Indeed it was. Well, yeah, I guess a bit about the podcast. This is a brand new Southampton FC pod and we are going to be running bi-weekly. So typically across the weeks that we're running, we'll be reviewing the last two game weeks uh, and then looking forward to what's to come. And I guess the idea is that we are going to be kind of a, yeah, a very open, honest forum for Saints fans, we might get on a few guests from both Southampton uh, backgrounds and other clubs, but hopefully thorough in our uh, overview in terms of the performance of the teams and other goings on at the club. Uh, I guess, yeah, both sort of long-suffering Saints fans in in some respects, Sam, but we've had some good times, I guess, in the time that we've both known each other and followed Saints. Yeah, it's been very much, as I'm sure every other Southampton fan can can um, attribute to. It's been lots of ups and downs in that time, but let's hope we're not going to be back back on the up again soon. Because it's been obviously a, a difficult few years since probably since Ronald Koeman left. But you know, hopefully, Rav can get has got us on a bit more of a sure footing now. So hopefully, it can it can carry on going the right direction. Yeah. That sure footing, I guess, we're going to go on to analyse in in a in a bit more depth. But yeah, so we are going to be looking at Everton and United. We'll talk players, so some on the incomings and, and how they performed in the first couple of matches. JWP, I guess the big news from last week was the contract extension, which was, uh, yeah, I guess very, very exciting news as a Southampton fan, having seen Ings and Vestergaard walk out the door. We'll look at some tactical things as well, um, especially when it comes to how uh, Ralph was maybe a little bit more proactive yesterday and preview our trips to, to Newport and Newcastle this week. Um, we did like a pre-season pod where we tested out a, a quiz, but Sam's idea, I guess, for something different to finish on this time round was a Saints 11 and I think we're going to go with our best 11 since promotion is that what you've got in got in mind Samuel yeah I've got something written down to see it we'll see if, uh, how 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 they match up at the end shall we <laughs> and the format there'll be too much debate yeah the format for that is we are going position by position right yeah yeah sounds good Okay, nice. Well, I guess I'm going to try and yeah do do the overview in order. It's hard with a kind of recency bias of yesterday's result still very much present. But let's start with Everton. Was a 
was a pretty tough day at the office after what was an okay first half. How, how did you see this? It seemed to be we 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 got. I don't know what you thought, but I, I thought we got very dragged dragged back almost into deja vu from the back end of last season, which isn't a surprise as. I'm sure that a lot of the players in that team are bereft of, bereft of a lot of confidence with um, obviously our record since January. First half was positive, but I mean, other than the goal, looking at it, I don't think we troubled. Pick, I think Pickford had much to do. He had that snapshot from Armstrong, didn't it? Didn't we in the first half? Yeah. But other than that, I don't think we created too much. Gineppo got in behind a few times and I think a few people got excited for oh Gineppo looks, looks really good but I just thought it was another typical Gineppo performance in terms of flashes of good stuff but then getting the final ball just not up to it which is probably indicative of most of our number 10s to be fair but yeah I, I, I felt very similar with Musa. I thought you know I guess we're going to come on to the United game but I felt a little bit more of a kind of complete performance. But against Everton, he did that classic thing of beating his man. And I think he looked probably the sharpest I've seen him in some time. But then there felt like there was a natural ball on maybe to cut back where the most dangerous area was. And he travelled towards goal or down a sort of alley that was not open. There was two or three times that I felt that there was the ball just to be cut back. And you see those typically being the the most dangerous balls when a player is in that position is someone's just peeled off and you, you want to cut it back, whereas Gineppo never seems to see that option. Yeah, definitely. I, I I feel it just almost just went straight into how we always do at Goodison Park, where there's good bits, and then but ultimately we just don't do well there at all. Um, I mean, Armstrong's goal was... It was very, very positive. I mean, I was, I was watching, I was at work watching it. I'm lucky enough to be able to watch the three o'clock kickoffs at work, and um, I was sort of half working, half watching. And I looked up, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Armstrong was through on goal, and I thought, "Oh, hang on, hang on a minute." And it was, I mean, it was a really, really impressive finish. I mean, I've heard a few people say that. Well, I'm not sure he should have put it that close to the crossbar, but it went in the went in the back of the net. And that's all that matters. Yeah, it was almost too good, wasn't it? You think, uh, yeah, you you kind of rarely see. Strikers in that sort of situation put it... I mean, look, how purposefully he popped it right into the top bins, I don't know. But it was almost felt a bit like, Jesus Christ, you probably could have just slotted that a little bit simpler. But hell of a finish. Hell of a finish. Tino Livramento was the the kind of big name from that starting eleven, though I guess in terms of not a big name from the eleven, but the the one that was most surprising. Yeah, I mean, probably since the start of last season, even even since Project Reed started, say that Carl Walker Peters has probably been one of the first names in the team sheet. So to get the team news through and see him on the bench when I, when I first saw Livermore on the team show, I, was, I assumed he was injured looked down and saw Walker Peters on the bench and I mean it, obviously it shows how much he's impressed in his short time at the club which is very very positive I will obviously move on to how good he was yesterday and um, in, uh, later on but yeah I mean especially in the first half he, he he caused Everton all sorts of problems he's really bombing on down the right it's something we don't probably see that much of Walker Peters I mean he's Pretty good. He's good going forward, Walker Peters, but he doesn't ever like bomb on. And you think well, he's really going to beat a man. He's quite, quite often takes it to the right and then shifts it back to someone inside mm. of him. He's not doesn't really bomb on and cross the ball into the box that often. But Livermento is really impressive, especially against the. I mean, you're playing your first Premier League game against a a France international left back, and he caused them, especially the, caused them all sorts of problems in the first half. I mean, he may yeah. he probably tired a fair bit in the second half, which. I probably will obviously get on to how proactive Ralph was later on, but I probably would have taken him off a bit earlier for Walker Peters, just because I think the game sort of drifted a bit. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think against Everton and and something I kind of was thinking about in terms of that performance, you touched on it being similar to, you know, it's almost history repeating itself, right? The amount of points we've dropped from winning positions, second half collapses... I think it speaks a little bit more to how we just get stuck in cycles within games where, you know, even I felt like it could have happened yesterday and and thankfully it didn't. But when it went to 1-1 against Everton, there just seemed that inevitability where 
they were they kept creating chances I think there was a ball played in from the left hand side which were Charleston dummies it goes to someone and there was just that inevitability where actually if Ralph had been proactive including maybe taking off someone like a Liveramento and let's not forget it was his first game of you know men's football right he he's been he's very highly rated but to be thrown in against yeah both Digne and Richarlison's a handful um, I, I felt that that would have been the change he's still greatly impressed and I think going forward probably impressed you know as much as defensively in that game uh, similar to yesterday in many respects but he seems to do this thing where it looks like he's slowing down and maybe cutting inside but then sort of goes on again and he did that a few times against Everton really quick feet really nicely done um, but but he was hugely impressive Ralph came out after the game I think and spoke about picking him over Kyle seemed like it was purely based on what he'd seen in you know training and pre-season what, what little Tino had of it and and just said look I, I couldn't leave this this guy out right yeah it was a massive call from him and I mean Paid, paid off in some respects, the fact of how well he did impress in the first half. I think, I mean, if you gave, I reckon if you asked 20 Saints fans what, what their 11 would have been for Everton, I don't think any of them would have said what, no. what, what, what Ralph did pick. <laughs> Especially with, I mean, obviously, I think Bedrex probably wasn't picked for, I think, did he, I think his, his wife or partner had, a, had the baby yes, just yeah, before, yeah. The, before the Everton game. So I imagine that played a big part in his non-selection, and um, yeah, it was it was very. I mean, it was also Walcott. I probably wouldn't have picked him, but there, there you go. I mean, it's just as we've discussed in the past. It's uh, like the number ten position is there's much of a muchness at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I think I think just to kind of wrap on the Everton game, it was a story that we've seen play out so many times, and it it just felt again like. We Ralph reacted far too late, uh, you know, and, and I guess we're going to kind of contrast that with what happened yesterday. But I remember during Project Restart, he spoke about he's obviously got some friends that still manage in the Bundesliga, and he spoke about the uptick in substitutes that managers could now make. I don't know if you ever heard this quote from him, but he talked about how he was seeing that managers that were making more changes. Um, during po- project restart in the Bundesliga were kind of struggling with their shape and patterns of the game. And I, I feel like he, when he first joined Saints, was a lot more sort of proactive in terms of tweaking the system, bringing on players earlier. And he effectively said, you know, during project restart, I, I wanted to make less changes than more, even though we've got more subs. And that just fed into, again, I feel like the Everton game where he... Yeah, he, he should have affected things when it was clear that we were under the cosh, effectively as soon as Richarlison scores, which we haven't touched on the Salisu mccarthy issue there. Um, again, maybe recency bias is playing into our hands after Salisu has a really good game against United. But that was, a yeah, a, I think a real poor sort of mix-up, which leads to that goal. But from that moment on, it, it just looked inevitable. We were going to not come away from anything, which we rarely do when, yeah, I guess we, we go to, uh, to, to Goodison Park, it feels we just never seem to win there. Yeah, it was even just as soon as the second half kicked off in that game, we gave away a couple of sloppy corners and mm. just the pattern of play just seemed like it was all going one way. And just when the goal went in, as you as you said, it's just it's just a sense of inevitability. I find this team is if any any adversity goes against them, um, yes, they just don't seem to react well. They don't seem to seem to see what's going on, even down from the manager to the players. They don't seem to react and do something about it and just try and change the way we're playing or even just sit in for a bit and think we'll, we'll stop but try and change the way that this game's going yeah I, I I couldn't really kind of agree more with that and I think you know again we're, let, let's maybe talk about United because it feels like we're you know we're skirting around it and we can go into it now um, yeah. maybe before we talk about some of the, the kind of players across both games and including JWP's new new contract but I just felt like that that seemed to me a a really, uh, yeah, I think surprising performance on one hand, but the sort of kind of robust performance that, again, I I think back to when Ralph first came in charge, I I felt like we, you know, pressed very much as a unit, but also we were quite pragmatic. I remember he used to switch between 4-4-2 effectively or the 4-2-2-2 and 3-5-2 quite a lot. 
And to do that at half time, I felt, um, yeah, just just was a, a really good sign. I think we were much more solid actually in that second half than we were in the first, even though that was the half that we conceded in. But when it comes to things like backbone, I felt that, yeah, it, it makes sense to touch on the number one shithouse himself, Jack Stevens. I thought him, uh, Salisu, uh, were, were, were very strong and, and sort of ensured that there wasn't that sense of inevitability about us losing yesterday's game. Yeah, it was definitely one of Stevens's best better performances for us in his in his um, three four years now in the first team. He was wasn't a foul, was it? Oh, it's, as, <laughs> as, as um, it's just not a foul. I mean, especially the way I heard someone say earlier, the way the the game was actually played, or the way whether Craig Porson refereed it was, he was pretty yeah, was lenient. Der- with was things. it Dermot Gallagher? Was it Dermot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he that. just said said the way that Porson let the game flow. It's just never a foul. It's just the, Stevens. It's it's a robust challenge, but as we've heard this weekend and seen, it's just it's the way the game's being played now. The, the ref, referees are letting more things go, and St- Stevens was firm in his challenge, but it's just it was just fine. It was fine. Fernandez was going on for the whole game trying to. Almost trying to referee the game himself, as we've seen before past May United teams. He's a very um. There's, there's, a, there's that great picture of Stevens pointing at him. I, I love I love to know what he's saying to him at that time. I'm sure I'm sure it I've can't seen be a few too caption re- caption contests going on. Yeah, um. it was um it was a good challenge, and then obviously we we did what we do. We we win the ball in transitions and we played the ball forward very quickly. A nice little touch from Gineppo to Armstrong. We flicked the ball to Adams and obviously, unfortunately, throughout him, it was given as an own goal. But no, it was really good. It was really good to see and just the outpour of emotion in the stadium when the when the ball when the goal went in was great. It was just it seems to be almost eight eighteen months in the making. As much as I, as much as I had in my back of my mind of. Oh, good! We're taking the lead against Man United again. We all know what happens, but it was just a great moment. Yeah, it was. It was just class, and uh, yeah, uh, couldn't be there. Not another bloody wedding, but it was just like <laughs> just unreal. And I know all the fucking issues with the the ticketing and stuff, and I think that led to maybe a little bit of a subdued first sort of fifteen twenty minutes. But you know, as as that went in, it was just one of those yeah big big moments. I, I also felt that the players for the first time in so long right hearing fans celebrate like that it was um yeah it was it was great and i think your point about winning the ball back in transitions and actually profiting from that because i feel like of course it's one of the hallmarks of a ralph harson hoodle system is to do that but it was just nice how quickly Gineppo got it into armstrong armstrong knowing where shea was with a little flick and tom leach has done a little article with um Armstrong for Hampshire Live today which I caught some of and just the link up play between them both they seem to be just gelling very very early on and I also think about Armstrong you know his awareness there to just think it's probably best that I do move this on quickly as the move progresses he's showing signs I think you know we'll maybe come on to his missed chances later on but I'm quite surprised how quickly he seems to have taken to Premier League football yeah and also as, as as you mentioned, the blossoming partnership between them, even just two games in. The thing with I know you're a big Trey Adams fan, and the thing with him is he just seems to play well with up with a, with a lot of different strikers. We've had we see in the past that he's linked up well with Danny Ings, he's, and then at the, in the times when Ings has been left out of the side, he's, he's obviously linked up well with Michael Obafemi when we won at Chelsea when there was two of them up front together. He just seems to bring the best bring bring the best out of the players he plays with, which is really good. And obviously he's played with Theo Walk- Walcott as well up front last season when Danny Ings was injured. It's not an easy job, is it, playing up front? No. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm sure we'll touch on his performances in the first few games at some point. But um, yeah, he, he, it's, it was really good to see. It's a shame his goal gets taken off him because it would have been great for him to get off the mark for the season. But... Um, yeah. No, he, yeah, he did. No, yeah, I think. Uh, will we ever? Will anyone ever hear our pre-season pod? Who knows? But I, I go on to say that I think <laughs> that Shea is is effectively one of our best players, and I'm, yeah, a huge, huge fan of what he does. And I think, well, obviously, makes sense to touch on the Armstrong mischances, given we're we're talking about the attackers. How quickly Armstrong 
how quickly, sorry, Adams gets the ball into Armstrong for his his one on one with the Hay. Just the weight of the pass is just perfect, and I touch on that in our preseason pod around. I think there are elements of Adams's game which he just doesn't get the credit for in terms of what he sees around him, how quickly he can link play, but also those those killer passes. But it just felt like Armstrong was going to bag. But yeah, it's just sort of actually a really nice hype for De Gea. Just didn't catch it well enough, did he? And yeah, unfortunately, that that seemed like the moment where if we were going to regain the lead, we we lost it. Yeah, it seemed like from where I, I mean, I was sitting at the opposite end of the ground to where he, where he's where, where he had his chance, but um, it seemed like he almost thought he didn't have as much time as he did. He just seemed to rush the shot a bit, and if he didn't, he he gave it to De Gea at a very nice height, as you said. It was it was, I mean. Was it Wambasaka that's coming in? I think because the ball, the ball's sort of moving towards yeah that area of the pitch. I think it's Wambasaka who, again, things like recovery pace, his tackling ability, actually in moments like that is normally quite good. And I think Armstrong just thinks, "Shit, I need to get the shot away here," rather than maybe just composing himself. And I thought probably the other corner was the side to go in, but yeah, it would have been a hell of a moment. Um, for, for Armstrong home debut to get two into put us back in front. Then the header, have you, have you? I don't know if you've seen on the the replays of the header. The header was just odd, right? Yeah, it seemed like he just lost his bearings a bit and just. I mean, maybe maybe just bounced a bit higher than he was expecting. Or I mean, I, I need to see it again probably. But I mean, was it a miss? I don't really know. It just it seemed like from my end of the ground, you can barely, when there's a, when there's a corner, you can barely see what's going on in the, in the six yard box or anything like that. But yeah, it looked like the ball across the goal. It just looked like it was waiting to be hit. I think was it was was it Shea again who, who flicked it on? It was yeah yeah Shea flicked it on. I don't know if it was something we'd we'd worked on, um, but yeah, it, it came through in real time. I just thought he was kind of at the back stick trying to put it back across, and that it wasn't really a chance. But then as soon as you see the the replay of it. It just feels like he probably should just, you know, aim his header at goal because he's so close, even though it's a relatively tight angle, and he he just gets it all, all wrong. But yeah, um, on on where you were sat, were you in in the northern? Yeah, I've seen I've had a scene ticket in the northern for quite a few years now. It was um yeah, it was quite lively in there. To be fair, it was um I always worry about the atmosphere at St Mary's sometimes. It's normally quite a little bit subdued, but no, it was it was good. The fans were. You just feel people were glad to be back, and it just sort of felt like normal, really. I mean, I mean, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the, I'm not the, I'm not the um, person to say what what people should and shouldn't be doing in the ground in terms of wearing masks and that. I wasn't wearing now, a come mask. Come on, Sam, what do you think? No. <laughs> I personally wasn't wearing a mask. But there, were, there, there was very few people in, very few people in there wearing wearing them as well. So it just felt like a. Almost we were back eighteen months, nineteen months to the Newcastle game almost, and uh, no, the atmosphere was great. It was, I mean, I was slightly disappointed with the, with the United fans. I mean, they they were loud for probably probably twenty twenty five minutes, but apart from that, they were quite disappointing, really. Which is yeah, they're normally one of the one of the loudest. Yeah, sets they of fans they down, normally down always Im- impress me. Actually, United away fans, um, you know, yeah, but I actually think this kind of goes into the the flow of the game I just think that we we responded there was probably a kind of five ten minute period right after after Green was equaliser which kind of makes sense to comment very quickly on McCarthy I mean what the fuck was that yeah I mean I did message you yesterday saying I don't want to turn this podcast into a slag off goalkeepers podcast but (laughs) no let's do it come on it's time it's time to slag off a goalkeeper I mean (laughs) When it went in, I mean, it's it's right in front of me. I just assume, even then, I just assumed it was deflected. Yeah, same. And, but then I just texted my mate saying, "Should that have gone in?" And he just said, "No, McCarthy just let it go through him." I just, I just don't know. I mean, I don't know. I just don't know how it goes in. I mean, obviously it goes through, it goes through Salisu's legs, but it's he's a he's a he's a Premier League goalkeeper on. Supposedly the number one Premier League goalkeeper, you can't be letting that ball go in the back of the net. No, I mean you you simply can't. It was so frustrating, and again we we've touched on this before on McCarthy just not saving shots which he should save right, and and that is that's a prime example why he's already going that way and exposing I think his legs really it kind of goes through his legs right. 
at, at, at that moment, I just found just found baffling. And again, like it's not a high quality chance. Like I, I, I just really feel like we, yeah, it's, it's again a problem area that which I don't think we've we've resolved. Obviously, without the acquisition of a new goalkeeper, and Ralph's made some comments which I think have got. A th- few people's back up on social media I don't know if you've seen what he said about look next season we will buy a goalkeeper because clearly we need one I don't know what your thoughts are there well I mean I've said to you I've said to you I've said to loads of my friends that if I had one choice of position to us for us to strengthen in it would be goalkeeper I would go out and get a a, a first class goalkeeper not, well, not first class because they first class goalkeeper want to come to us but someone who's a very good Premier League goalkeeper. I, I would just be all over that straight away. But it just yeah. seems like I mean, one person who would have saved that shot would have been Fraser Forster because of how he just seems to kick everything away. He doesn't ever seem to save anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's not the most conventional goalkeeping uh, no. technique I've, I've ever seen. But yeah, I would. Yeah, I, I think obviously we've got Newport on Wednesday, which you know McCarthy won't play that game. I, I highly doubt, um, and, and Fraser will, but. I just think it's an area we, we, we need to address. Obviously, we're not going to in across this season, but, you know, pending us staying up, I think we need to invest. And I, I was also thinking about this in relation to what we're going to do at the end of the pod, RE, our team since we've sort of come up, or our top team. And I think goalkeeper was a, a tough ask. I won't give too much away, but I wasn't, you know, it was no, like, name really sprung to mind. Uh, but maybe you've got different criteria and what you're you're basing it on. I don't know. Yeah, we'll get onto that. We'll get onto that later. But yeah, it could be an interesting, interesting debate that one, or, yeah. or not, so, not so interesting, depending on if we, exactly. we might actually both say the same person. Who knows? <laughs> I think the last sort of fifteen, twenty minutes, we we were really good, winning the ball back high up the pitch. Obviously, Armstrong's yeah chance that was created from that. But I, I just was, was very, very impressed with us. And actually, I, ch- I had a little look at the expected goals. So I guess the quality of chances that were created across the game. And in the second half, we created a higher uh, quality of chance than United did across the whole second half. I think we played better than that second half. And actually in the first half, all of their XG, so all of their high quality chances was, was created from set pieces. Now, I don't know if we were particularly bad at, at, at defending them, but just it seemed like every set piece we really struggled with. I thought we were particularly bad at that one that, that somehow looped onto the crossbar. I don't really know what happened Oh, it was there. a mess, wasn't it? What happened there? McCarthy was backpedalling and he almost fell over. And then I think, <laughs> I, I, don't remember, I can't remember who headed it. Was it was it Pogba? I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. And, and then Salisu. Salisu blocked it, managed to clear it. But it just looked, it just looked a... From a distance, it just looked absolutely messed, like you said. Uh, it was. Livermento, actually, I think, is the one that gets it kind of away-ish. Um, yeah, but, it, we, yeah, we just... Again, if you look at um, kind of non-set-piece XG, we actually created a higher quality of chance across the whole 90 than United. But I just felt that we controlled the game really well in that in that second half. And I don't know, yeah, if it simply was the... The, the kind of five three two for however you want to view that formation, but I just felt like it gave us a bit more structure across the whole pitch, and we we pressed at the right moments. But we also knew that if we kind of if the press maybe was evaded, we just had a slightly better structure defensively, including just more you know one more number right, which which I felt was important, especially against a quite attacking United team. Yeah, I can't really remember. I don't, I don't know about you, but I can't really remember many other chances United had. They had that, that shot from Pogba that went just wide, didn't they, in the second half? And then that header from, from Bruno Fernandes, McCarthy, again, saved, but <laughs> did his best not to save it, if anything. But, uh, <laughs> no, no. But, um, yeah, I just I think, think we um, we looked good. I, also, I can't remember, we don't have that many other chances, but... I never felt that as much as much possession that United had in the at times. Never felt that we were really under the cosh that too much. It was probably a five or ten minute period, probably after they scored, when I thought this could get ugly. But no, after that, I thought we dealt with it really well. The introduction of Diallo helped things. It really just 
helped us in midfield. So I was really, I was, I was quite happy to see their midfield on the on the team sheet. To be honest, to see Fred and Matic, I thought Romeo and Walprowse can be can be all over them. Really, Matic is he was he was a really good player in his time, but I don't see how he still starts for a, a team that's supposed to be in the top four of the Premier League. I, I just felt that actually across Romeo and Ward Prowse, we chose our moments to go and win the ball and also sit off and let the likes of Matic and yeah Fred take the ball right and I think it was it was smart in in that sense and it it, it was I think it had a kind of some nice patterns to it. Would you, in terms of kind of, I guess yeah we've spoken about the persistence with that four two 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 shape. Or reverting to maybe a, a three, three at the back. Like, how do you feel about that? Do you think it's going to be something Ralph, you know, steers away from again? We're just back to back to type next next Premier League game at least against Newcastle. I think we'll be back to type against Newcastle. But say when we play, I think our next game against um, a member of the, the Big Six is I think Chelsea at the start of October. I definitely wouldn't be against us changing shape in that game. I mean, I don't even want to think about. Lukaku against us against us just yet, but um, yeah, when we play a big sixteen, I can definitely see us adapting during the game, or even even starting off starting off in a five or slash three, and um, and playing playing those three centre backs, and then obviously we may have one more centre back in the door before then as well. Yeah, yeah, we might. Well, I guess we can kind of talk about players then, and and yeah. There's no point going over kind of individual performances, I don't think, from the United game. I think it was a really good team performance. Steven, Sally, Sue, for me, were 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 very good. But Livermento got man of the match and just let me talk about snip. Can we talk about that run by Livermento in, in the, oh, in the first God. half? <laughs> yeah, it was so good, wasn't it? I, there was a moment where I thought maybe he should have played it, but then actually the quality of the cross at the end, where Armstrong is kind of he's behind the defender and then realise I need to make a move to the front post, but. It was so good, and I imagine being there. That's the sort of thing that just—it just class. That really warms the fans to a player like Tino, and yeah, just probably got everyone off their off their seats, right? Yeah, I'm one of those people that doesn't get when when I hear, "Oh, it was a really good cross," but no one was at the end of it, and always think, "Oh, it's a rubbish cross." Then, but that was not a rubbish cross. That was <laughs> that was brilliant play. The fact that I mean. I know Fred. Fred's a bit of a joke figure sometimes for United fans and opposition fans, but to see him trying to keep up with Livermore and then completely falling over trying to dispossess him, it was it was something to behold. From, from you just look at it and think, wow, this kid's eighteen and he's going to be something. You look at it and think he's going to be something pretty special. Yeah, I really, I really think he is. It's just interesting now to see how Ralph does this. Right, I think even the Saint socials have been playing up to the battle that's on between him and. KWP for that right back spot. There's been yeah some pics of them dueling in training and whatnot. But fuck, I mean, how do we fit? And I think I was impressed with Perraud as well at left back again. Like I think he 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 has that spot down right. But KWP came on for him. It's great to have options in there. But how do we fit both him and him and Walker Peters in in the team? I'm talking about Livramento. It's it's a, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because you look back to. When Walker Peters got injured, I think it was just just before the Arsenal game, the the league game in January, and we had no no right back. Well, we had Valerie come in, and he's he's just, in my opinion, in my opinion, he's not really up to it for a, for a team like us. And um, <laughs> and now we're almost spoiled for choice at right back. We've always been we've been waiting so long for quality right backs to come along, and now we've got two, and he's just struggling to fit them into the team. It's almost stuck in the situation that Scotland are in with. Their two best players are full-backs. They're both left-backs. And Andy Robertson yeah. and Kieran, Kieran Tierney. Yeah. How do you fit them both into the team? I mean, obviously they do it by putting one of them at centre-back. But I can't see that happening with um, Walker Peters or um, Livermento. No. Unless, like, I don't know. It's interesting. KWP is like an Aspilicueta right side of a three. Probably not going to work, is it? <laughs> but some people have spoken about maybe Livermento playing ahead of KWP on the right-hand side, so he plays as that sort of, yeah, maybe the right-sided number 10. But again, how much would that work in, in Ralph's system? I, I think I've seen sort of enough across these 180 minutes of Livermento to think that he could do a pretty good job, you know, elsewhere. Yeah, and also Walker-Peters can play on the left as well. So, I mean, obviously he came on yesterday for Perode in the last, I mean, maybe for five, ten minutes. And... I think he did a good job as well when he came on, looked, yeah. looked, looked on it. 
I think there's definitely definitely room for them both in the in not just in the in the squad in the in the first team. I'm sure Ralph can find a place for them both. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of got to be interesting to look at his his man management here, things he says after the game, how how he handles that situation, because it's just nice to have a little bit of competition <laughs> for places somewhere. Because like you say, last season when KWP got injured, it literally felt like we'd lost our most important player. We, we, we lost all of our structure. I think there were games where we just looked completely out of sorts. And yeah, we, we just, it seemed to stem from a real uh, kind of lack of a proper right back. Yeah, and then the knock-on effect was quite often Ralph would put James Wall, would put Wall Prowse at right back. And that just takes out all of his best attributes. I remember the Villa game at St Mary's last season where Villa just saw that and thought, Oh, we'll put Jack Greenish on on your right back. We I mean, know exactly what to do there, and I think their their goal that day stem stem from that, and that's what happens. We don't have squad depth uh, as much as Ralph banged on about that last season. It's such a key thing for us. We ne- we need to have options in the squad, and now we do. It's two really really good right right backs. There was a nice segue into JWP having to fill in, but obviously the big news kind of off the pitch was him signing that that new deal which I think in actual practical terms was only a a one-year extension but it was a refreshed wage structure if is is that right Sam do you know any more details on that from what I read uh, a column by David Ornstein today and he said he's now the highest I think it was from the information was from the athletics Dan Sheldon and it was basically yeah that Wal Prowse is now the highest paid player in our history I think he's Top yep. 100k a week now, which is, I'd imagine, similar to what we the, the terms we were offering Danny Ings before he left left for Aston Villa, and um, I mean it's well deserved. He, it's about time he's probably our highest paid player. To be honest, I mean, God knows how long Fraser Forster was probably our first, <laughs> was probably our highest paid player. But I'll be honest, in at, in my, I was at work that evening, and in, we get the um, press. Like the press releases through, like quite often on an embargo, and my boss said to me, "Oh, have you got the Wolf Prowse news?" And I thought, "Oh shit, he's gone," <laughs> or something like that. But no, oh god. <laughs> but no, the fact the fact that he signed a new contract is is it's brilliant news. I mean, as soon as it happened, everyone's going, "Oh, what's his release clause?" But also another thing that came through today in that in that article was that there is no release clause in um. In Will Prowse's contract, I'm sure if someone came to us with a sh- stupid amount next summer, like 80, 90 million, now, now he's signed that, he'd probably be off. But I think we're pretty, um, it's looking very rosy for him to stay at the club for a, for a long time, which which is brilliant. I mean, yeah, yeah, I don't know what you think, but he's impressed me so much the past, I mean, how long was it now? Probably the last, since Ralph's been in charge, really. I mean, Hughes just didn't fancy mm. him at all. There's always, I think there was talk of him going to Watford, is that right, back then? God, mate, I remember it. Yeah, it was sort of a fee, probably around the 10 to £15 million pound mark. It just seems seems mad, right? Thinking about the player he now is. And look, I think I'm kind of going to give try uh, try and give a balanced view on this. Sometimes I look at James Will Prowse through these sort of rose-tinted glasses, given he's becoming what is a club legend and you know his, his quality from set pieces. But... He he has got, you know, I think weaknesses to his game in terms of creativity, how much of the pitch he sees at times. But in terms of what he can do, you know, quality of passing, quality of tackling, crucial uh, moments from set pieces. And I think in terms of, yeah, maybe sort of a, was it Claude Puel who said he's the, he would be the perfect uh man for your daughter to bring home (laughs) he's sort of left that nice boy tag behind now and is just a bit of a bit of a snide I think we even saw it for England not that long ago where he was duffing up the penalty spot and he just he's he's kind of everything that you'd want as that yeah that that very I don't want to say complete because again I think there's a lack of creativity or a lack of lack of spark at times in in the final third but he's just got so much to his game and he's improved no end under Ralph yeah it was the case for so so long that he was almost like where'd you put him he's been played out on the right he's been played in the middle he's been played a bit bit deeper a bit further forward but now he's really nailed his position in the the system and the Ralph and it's just it's really good to see because the the days under Poch 
Koeman, even um, Adkins at first for the first six months after his debut, Puel, Pellegrino, we don't, he just couldn't really nail anything down. He, he went through purple patches where he scored a few goals and did, did this, did that, but the fact ever since Ralph's been in the been in the club, he's just been so important to the team. And almost since um, yeah, since Hoiberg left as well, he's almost, he's sort of given the captain's armband. He's um, really made it his own, and you can tell that the, the he's really looked up to by the rest of the players. Yeah, no, it's great news, mate. Um, and I guess kind of elsewhere around the club right now, it looks like we're about to replace Vestergaard with what looks like a bit of a strange centre-back choice in, in Lianco. Am I, am I saying that right? Or Liancho from, from Torino. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've got much kind of insight into into this guy, but yeah, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how this one pans out. I touched on this on Twitter. We do have in us a bit of an odd centre-back signing. I think I gave the examples to you of Vegard Foran, uh, was it Florin Gardos, Wesley Hoot, uh, yeah, Kevin Danso, who, um, yeah, maybe we'll do sort of a, yeah, our worst <laughs> signings from the Premier League era and, and those, some of those names would definitely feature. But, yeah, I mean, Lianco seems like our man. I know he was linked with Watford and I think Udinese were looking at him. There's obviously the link there as well, how much a kind of proper transfer link that was. But he he looks like the the man that the club's chosen to replace Vestergaard. Yeah, it sort of came out of blue a bit. It's one of those Fabrizio Romano tweets it, and all of a sudden it's here we go, and it's um the the deals the deals <laughs> on the way. But um, he um from what I've looked at, I mean, I mean every player that's good on YouTube, but he just seems he does seem to carry the ball well. I don't think he'll be coming in. I mean, I was I was definitely hoping that someone would come in and be first choice straight away, slot in. I don't think that would be happening. I think he'll be pretty much. About, I think Salisu is is the Vestergaard replacement. I think Le- Leanko will be. He'll be back. He'll be he'll be a backup for Salisu. I think, and then it'd be leave Bednarek and Stevens to fight out for the right side of the fence. That'd be my guess, especially with the money that. We've spent. It seems like we're gonna have a bit of money left over from the Vestergaard deal as well, which we're not reinvesting. It seems. No, hopefully that goes in the goalkeeper fund for next year. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go and buy Sam Johnson with that. Is there? But we spoke about Sam Johnson on the pre-season pod. Has there been any? He's still with West Brom. No, right? there's still. There's. I think there's chat of him signing a new contract at West Brom. His deal is ended at the end of, at the end of really? his season. I mean, maybe he's looking at him thinking. No, that's decent. He's probably looking at him thinking. I guess they've started. They've started the championship season well, haven't they? And there's a feeling that, unfortunately, we might get a bit of a, a yo-yo situation again with them and Fulham, who who just look pretty comfortable in that division already. But yeah, I mean. Let's see how Liancho, or, or however we're saying his name, pans out. But I think you're right. He will play that kind of backup role, maybe left-sided centre-back to Salisu, who seems to have that, that role nailed. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I, I think I'm kind of reserving judgment just because I'm not familiar with him as a player. And some of the other names were a bit more exciting. We had Adarabayo at Fulham, who was linked for a little bit. Joe Worrell, who, who I think Forest fans really wait. And also the, the kind of biggest name, or, or maybe the... Um, what would have been the most exciting was, was the uh, Coletta car, the Marseille centre-back who's Croatian international. I think, yeah, he probably will go for upwards of 20 million. So when you look at our our transfer process right now, that, that seemed out of budget, but seems we're going for a slightly cheaper option with the hope that that turns out all right. Uh, we'll see how this one goes. Yeah, I mean... You always got to give a sign the chance. I mean, as you said, like Vegard Foreign said, you couldn't really give him a chance. He's never played, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it was an interesting, it'd be an interesting one to see because I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of lot of people out there who know a lot more about him than we do. But just hope he settles in and um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's always good to have another option, isn't it? Yeah, I will give a little shout out to um, a podcast which I know you infamously did. One episode for Sam, the Total Saints <laughs> pod, because they have actually, uh, I think on today's or this week's release, got on a Torino expert to talk about Lianco. 
So it's definitely one to to check out because yeah, I guess it'd be good to get some insight from a Torino fan who who's seen um, yeah a bit more of him than most Saints fans have, right? trips to Newport and Newcastle coming up this week before it's the international break after these these two fixtures isn't it so there's a little break yeah. of, of club action um, Newport I assume we're going to have a much changed lineup and, and maybe see some faces that we haven't so far this season like um, Armando Broger even the, the the loan signing from Chelsea any thoughts on kind of what lineup you want to see for this game yeah I'm always a bit of a catch-22 about the cup because I've, I want us to go for it because I, I mean, I've never we, we neither of us have ever seen, seen Saints win a trophy in our lifetime, apart from the the Johnson's paint back in two thousand and ten. But I'd, I'd love to see us. Don't forget that boy. <laughs> Do not forget that. <laughs> I'd love to see us go for it and go far in the competition. But there's always this one thing that there's always the one thing, the one um, one aspect in this competition that worries me, and that's and, and that's called Manchester City. Because I just, I just always think. I just if they want to win it, they I think win they it. They should just be fucking banned from it. Yeah, exactly. I, I, like it's just so so boring, right? And I was listening. I can't remember the, who I was listening to this morning. I think it was a totally football show, and they were talking a little bit about Brighton and what a good season looks like for Brighton, who again have started the Premier League in kind of similar, um, yeah, I guess fashion in terms of their play to what they started last season, but are getting the results it seems this time. But for clubs like us, for clubs like Brighton, even I, you know, maybe put like the Everton's, the Villas, who are slightly bigger in stature, a, a cup run or even a cup win, heaven forbid, would just like, I mean, it would be a season that goes down in history, right? So like that, I, I feel like it would be great to have some sort of run, specifically in this competition. And I mean, you know, some one of my fondest Saints memories of, of recent years is obviously the... Um, the United final in in this competition, um, and and like to give Saints fans another day out like that that it w- would be unreal. Right? I know we've had a couple of semis recently, including last season, but it wasn't quite the same, and we were abject if best against Leicester. So I'd just love for a, a proper run in this competition. Yeah, you'd imagine players would come into the team, but it's it's going to look a lot stronger than it would would do last season if we, if we made made wholesale changes. Like we'd have. Obviously, Force will come in and goal. Walker Peters will come in. You'd like to think Bednarek will probably start because he's not had any much game time yet this season, apart from forty-five minutes yesterday. Yeah, and be nice to see. Yeah, like you said, Brozier. Brozier. I mean, I, I know that Rouse said he's a bit foot. Was probably a, a bit away from starting in the Premier League, but whether he will, he will use Newport as almost a stepping stone up to up to Premier League action. I'd be quite excited to see him. There's even players like I mean Redmond, Elianusi. You may, may get a game. Whew. That'd be uh, <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, I was I was hoping to get down to Newport for the game, but unfortunately, because of uh, the pitch situation at Newport, it took so long to announce it. I'll now be having to uh, watch from afar. Unfortunately, <laughs> I remember. I think it was we got knocked out by Brentford, didn't we? In this stage last season, I, I think I paid about seven quid for the game or something. I don't know if that's going on still now that we've got fans back. Um, but yeah, not 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 the best £7 I've ever spent, <laughs> I can assure you of that. Uh, we, we were just dire. Um, all right then, Sam, and we'll, we'll now speak a little bit on the Newcastle game. They have started this season with two defeats. Uh, first one was a bit of a, bit of a humdinger, wasn't it, against West Ham, ended 4-2. And then they got beat on Saturday by Villa. What are you feeling about our chances here? Uh, yeah, I guess kind of a, a the long trip up to St James's. I always look at this game as um, we've. I mean, it's almost like the perfect storm for us at the start of this season. We've had Everton away. We never win at Everton. Manchester United at home. Haven't beaten them in eighteen years. Newcastle away. I think we've beaten them once up there in. I mean, the last twenty-five years. I don't, I, I think. The, was it that Elia? Yeah, Elia, Elia double? double. I think the first start for the club. Yeah, I think it was back in two thousand fifteen. But other than that, it's been our record up there is pretty dire. And I look at it now, and I think they're not very. They're not very good. <laughs> yeah, how shit was last season's three-two? Yes, I remember that game very well. It was. Uh, I think it was almost. I think it was like four days after the nine, the the nine nil, wasn't it? You're not allowed to mention that, Sam. 
Oh, sorry. It was four, it was four <laughs> days after we played Manchester United away last season. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and lost by, you know, by a heavy amount, shall we say. Yeah, and I think I got... I got a lot more angry with that game than I did Same. with the with the with the United with the Man United game. It I would agree with that. Abysmal. We obviously they had. I mean, I mean the, the lesser spotted Minamino scoring for us, and obviously an unbelievable Walpole's free kick. But other than that, we were pretty abject. And also, they they were down to nine men for twenty minutes and ten men for the best part of forty five. We just created nothing. It was just terrible. I mean, there's no reason I can't go up there and win, but I think this every year we go up to St James's Park and we very and we, ne- and we never win at St James's Park. I don't know what you think about them as a t- I don't know what you think about Newcastle as a team because um, they seem quite quite odd to me because I look at them I think going forward they look really I mean on paper they look good. Wilson and Sir Maximum are very very dangerous. I wouldn't they do they both worry me. I don't know what you think about yeah, Newcastle. I'd, I'd I'd agree with that. And, and they, the, those two always seem the, the kind of absolute standouts. And I know St. Maximan's had issues with, with injuries and I think he had some issues with COVID even last season. But whenever he plays, he is obviously a threat. Um, and, and Wilson and, and now Joe Willock's obviously signed permanently and I think looked relatively sharp against Villa for his first game uh, of the season. I think they've they've got better since Graham Jones has been introduced to the coaching staff there. And I think going forward again is, is kind of their probably their, their bigger asset right now, which is kind of rare for a, a Steve Bruce side, which are typically known for relatively boring football, right? But they're there to be beaten. And I'd, I think personally that we should be aiming for a game against Newcastle, whether home or away, to pick up three points. I, I personally feel like, you know, 1-11, to 11, we're the better side. But like you say, I just have this feeling that we're not going to pick up three points. Um, and, and it will, will not, I'd love us to keep momentum going off the back of yesterday into the international break, but I, I have a sinking feeling that we'll go up there with with a lot of hope. Um, but I think, yeah, I'd probably go for like a, a 2-2 draw maybe. Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely take that right now because I think our last, I can't remember the last time we got any sort of result up there. It might have been a 2-2 draw back in 2015 maybe because I remember... Pellegrino's last game was at Newcastle, wasn't it? It was just it was just abysmal. We've had other other terrible displays up there. We just haven't done ourselves justice up there at all. And I mean, hopefully, we just go out there and as you said, they're there to be got at. Their defense. I look at their defense. You're looking at Federico Fernandez, the cells, Kieran Clark, Paul Dummett, Fabian Share. They're not great. I mean, I know that they'll look at us and think exactly the same thing. They'll be looking at they'll be looking at this game and thinking. For home home game in front of, against Southampton, we should win. But if if we can keep Sir Maximum and Wilson quiet, easier said than done. Then I think we have got a good chance of coming away with at least at least a point. Yeah, I think Wilson bags. I've got just got a feeling that happens. I think Armstrong will score for us. Um, it, it kind of it seems like that would be quite poetic for Armstrong to to bag. The old Probably, muted celebration. Yeah, muted celebration. I can see it now. Um, <laughs> but I, I've got a feeling Wilson will Wilson will score. I've been really impressed with Callum Wilson, actually. I know he's again had injury problems, which is sort of a... Seems like the archetypal issue for attacking players at Newcastle. But I think he's... he's Yeah, he's got more to his game than I maybe gave him credit for at Bournemouth. And I think he, he's already looked relatively threatening at the start of this season. Did you see him get wiped out by Emi Martinez, by the way? Yeah, it was... I mean, it reminded me of um, obviously, I'm probably a bit young for it, but that shoot was like Schumacher. Yeah, yeah. The, um, was it the, the France West Germany Cup. game? Yeah, it was, yeah. it was ridiculous. I mean, someone said, "Oh, well, I can't believe his booking still stood off." The penalty was, was rescinded. I was like, "Well, he absolutely wiped him out." It was yeah. an un- un- unbelievable challenge. I know. Okay, that the play stopped, but if I just smack someone in the face, I will still yeah. get sent off for it, right? Yeah, I think yeah. Um, it makes sense. The the booking stood. Sam, good conversation on all things Saints right now, but we're going to look at, and this was kind of your idea, so please correct me if I get this wrong, but effectively, 1-11, to our best team since our promotion back to the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's obviously our 10th year back now, so I think it might be quite good to look at it. 
Lovely stuff. It's not thrown together, is it, mate? Ten year no. anniversary of us <laughs> being back in the league. This is this is uh, yeah what we're what we're attempting to do. This is going to be part one. So part two, uh, we're going to look at the back end of our next pod, which will be in two weeks' time. But for part one, we're going to do the keeper and our back four. And we're going to try and debate this relatively speedily because me and Sam vowed that we wouldn't be those guys that do a <laughs> podcast for a long time. But here we are. We've got so much to talk about, given it's a, a bi-weekly pod. Um, so in goal, who have you gone for? I've gone for, this, this may cause some debate, I've gone for Arta Boric. Oh, mate, same. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I, I just, I thought... You know what? Out of which goalkeeper in at, at their best, who would I want in this eleven? I think that's what I was kind of basing on. I, I thought Arta Boric. Yeah, I think he's been the best shot stopper we've had since we've been back in the in the, in the division. I think he, I think he was good, very good with his feet as well. Aside from one obvious example at the Emirates, at the Emirates, but um, I'm sure we've seen a lot more mistakes from other goalkeepers since we've been back. But um, no, he was really, really good for us. I thought he was, I thought he was quite unlucky to lose his place after. I mean, they only really had eighteen months in the, in, as I number one, really, because it took it took us so long to actually get him in the, into the into the team. We started off the two thousand twelve thirteen season after promotion. Just Nigel Lakin seems to be messing around with goalkeepers quite a bit. I think he had a bit of issues when he came in, maybe with his weight, and I think he also. <laughs> Did he throw his bottle at the crowd or something? Or is that, do, I, do I remember that rightly? But for one, the best of us have always had issues with their weight, yeah? So yes, exactly. I'd like to just stand up for the old flat, fat bloke that can still make it as a Premier League footballer. He also, he's just a bit, bit of a nutter, wasn't he? I remember it was a game, it was at the old White Hart Lane. And I remember him just smacking himself in the face just before, before kick-off. Yeah. And I just thought, you, you are mad. And obviously the sort of old adage, isn't it, that you sort of have to be a bit of a nutter to play in goal, but, but Boric definitely um, encapsulated that. But yeah, I think technically as a keeper and as a shot stopper, he was the best we've had since we've been back in the Prem. Yeah, I was, when, I, when I wrote that down earlier, I was, just, I was expecting a massive debate on that one. I thought, I thought you were going to come Not out. Not at all, mate. No, we're aligned. We're very much aligned. Right, we'll move into, I'm going to go right to left. So right back, I've gone Nat Klein. Yeah, I don't see any, any debate there, really. You're looking at Cedric, Cuco Martina, Carl Walker-Peters hasn't been in the club long enough. <laughs> Cuco Martina and Cedric, Sam. Please, exactly. you can't do that to me. Man, I, Cedric started for Arsenal yesterday. I, I literally, I just, it sort of always takes me by surprise when I see him typically get the ball and do absolutely nothing. <laughs> but I can't believe he's starting as fullback for Arsenal. No, not at all. I mean, I still have a bad memory of Cedric at... My probably worst memory of Cedric is at the Emirates, actually. Do you remember the, the time where he could have squared the ball to Obafemi and he could yes. have had the easiest tapping ever? Oh, and mate. And for some reason, he, he smashed it out for a throw-in. <laughs> just... Was that the... That was sort of our resurgence under Ralph, wasn't it, that game? That was the 2-2, right? Where yeah, Lacazette we... scores, doesn't even celebrate. Is it Emery's last game? Yeah, we should have we should have won that game comfortably. We should have won oh that game my god, before. we were so good that day. By yeah. the way, I remember watching that, just thinking, God, this is like the football I expect to see under a Ralph Hasenhuhl side. We were we were fantastic, but I know exactly the chance that Cedric absolutely bogged. Yeah, even then, I mean, who else are you looking at? Right back and Klein was excellent for us for the best part of I mean, yeah. three three years. I think he was at the club. He, he was he was very good. he was very good very good signing. Yeah. Centre back, surely there's one name that we're both going to pick. So why don't you go first and see if we're, yeah. I, I assume the one name we're both going to pick is, um, is Virgil van Dijk. Yeah. Got uh, that. So why don't we, yeah, why don't you go give your next name? I'll pick, I'll pick Jose Font. Yeah, I, I, I kind of put Font, but with an honorary mention to Toby Alderweireld. Yeah, I just think Font almost. He was he was just the mainstay, wasn't he? It was Font and Lovren, Font and out of out of Ireland, Font and um, Van Dijk. It was always Font and a another, and he was a, it was a great leader for Saints as well. He was it was such a shame how the way he left the club because 
he would still he would still get in our yeah. team now. You look at how well he's doing at Lille. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've got really nothing to add on that front. Just a bit of a Saints legend, right? Um, f- from that famous goal at, at, at Brighton. Um, yeah, what feels like many moons ago. But yeah, oh, just what a, what a day. What hell of a day. guy, hell of a player for Saints. But the honorary mention I was going to give is to Alderweireld because even though he's with us for a year, I, it was... I just felt like he was probably going to be, and I think we, we spoke about this on Twitter not that long ago, I thought he was going to be the best Saints player I ever, sorry, the best Saints central defender I ever saw, one of the best Saints players I ever saw. And then we replaced him with VVD, which kind of was kudos really to our recruitment at the time, which, yeah, has gone through a bit of a rocky patch, but I'm very hopeful we're, we're on the right footing now. And then at left back, I think this is a, this could be a debate, but we'll see. I, I thought I thought this was a goalkeeper. I think this could end up being... I've got I've, right. Okay, uh, did you want me to go? Yeah, go go for it. I've gone Luke Shaw. Okay, I thought I've gone Ryan Bertrand. But, <laughs> uh, I think it's more for the longevity for Bertrand. He was yeah. better for us. I mean, he was at the club for obviously he's only just left for seven years. He, he had ups and downs at the club, but he was a really good solid left back for us. And he was he completely. Smash all the expectations when we signed him on loan. I thought, what if, I remember being at Villa, Villa before we signed him, I was, and then he came into us. I was like, oh, what have we signed here? I'm not replacing Luke Shaw, thirty million pound left back with <laughs> a Chelsea reserve. But no, his I, first, I, his first three, I'd say three to four seasons, he was just excellent. I, you just really cannot fault his performance levels. He he had so much about his game, and I, from what I'm hearing from got a couple of close mates that are Leicester fans I think what they've seen from him early doors is, is pretty good and pretty solid but the player we had I think when yeah he first joined was impressed me just constantly go on then talk, talk me into talk me into putting Luke Shaw into my team I don't really know if I can after that <laughs> see easily swayed maybe it's a bit of recency bias with the Euros and, and just you know quite, quite liking Shaw uh, but yeah I just think in terms of excitement, what he did as a you know, 17, 18 year old for four Saints, I yeah, just, just sort of very, very uh like exciting, marauding fullback. Someone who at the time I thought maybe would turn into a, a left winger. And actually we've seen from last season at United and his time with England, that he's very, very good going forward. We saw a lot of that in terms of his first season at Saints. Longevity-wise, haven't really got a leg to stand on. Um, but yeah, I, I, I went sure. Um, I don't know. The thing is, and there's some future picks which we'll discuss in part two. Potentially, you look at this with, again, that kind of bias of what players they've become rather than the player they were at Saints. And I'm kind of the Shaw Bertrand thing is probably indicative of that in in some ways because I'm thinking of you know who I'd want in my lineup right now rather than what they did for for Saints. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he was pretty. I mean, it was almost a turning point that season we first came up. I think it may have been when we played Swansea at home. That um, Adkins brought in Luke Shaw, brought in Shaw to replace Danny Fox, who they said about him the better in the Premier League. <laughs> um, God, what was our defence at one point was like Fox, Hoyvel, yeah, and then was it who did we have fallback Richardson? Yeah, Fraser Richardson, Fraser Richardson was knocking around, wasn't he? Fucking hell, <laughs> jeez, that was a yeah. I think Klein was was brought in in that first season, so it wasn't like we had to depend on him too much, but he was still knocking about. Yeah, it was almost like when he came into the team, and also Jack Cork, I think. Atkins brought them both into the team for that game. It just seemed to change our season a bit. And mm. it was just getting that quality. And he was just almost getting... Because Shaw was just fearless on the ball, even when he first came into the team. Yeah. He was generally excited. Just I mean, burst past people. It was, yeah, he was such, such an exciting fullback. And I kind of look back on those years again very, very fondly. My best memory is just um, him for that punching goal at Stamford Bridge, going absolutely bursting past Aspilicueta, who's... One of the best right backs of the past 10, 15 years of the Premier League. Yeah, he's yeah, left yeah. him for dead. Yeah, yeah. No, I um, I think that I, I can agree with your Bertram pick, but 
my heart again says sure. A little stat that I saw, by the way, we'll leave with it. We'll end this segment on a stat: uh, is that uh, Tino Livramento made six interceptions yesterday, the last teenager to make that many interceptions in a match was Luke Shaw for us I think it was in his last season with us um, so yeah nice little sort of passing of the baton onto a very exciting young fullback no pressure that no pressure to you know no pressure I reckon he will surpass the career that Luke Shaw's had that's my uh, bold claim to finish Oof. the pod on right. maybe me after the guys just scored in the in the European yeah. Championship final Maybe not the easiest to surpass. Um, we're one hour, one hour, nine minutes in, Sam. It's been an absolute pleasure. Anything you want to want to close with, or are we are we done for the day? I think we're done for the day. Just hopefully we can get two two positive results this week, move into the next round, and hopefully finally pick up a win at St James's Park. Indeed, mate. My prediction is we'll we'll beat Newport relatively comfortably, then a two two draw. You you'd be happy with a draw, right, on Saturday? Yeah, I think we'll get maybe a two two nil win at, at Rodney Parade on Wednesday night, but then maybe oh, I'd go probably go one all. Oh, you bloody maverick! Two, you really <laughs> yeah, sticking no. your neck out there, Sam. That's that's what people come to the pod it's, for. Bold predictions. It's tough. Okay, uh, that kind of wraps things up. Just wanted to say a big thanks if you've yeah, lasted this long to hear me deliver this message. Uh, one hour, six minutes, Talking Saints, and I'm sure some of it was absolute drivel, but it was a pleasure putting it together. But to play us out, I'll leave you with the good stuff, which is my brother and his acoustic version of Owen the Saints, which is an absolute treat. Mm-hmm.